Good morning. The third Sunday in Advent is when the pink candle that represents joy is lit. And very often on this Sunday, we read that story from Luke 1, Mary reciting her song of joy and praise when she discovers that she will be the bearer of Jesus, our Savior. But since we're not in a traditional Advent and we're closing in on the completion of the 2020 Bible Project, we went with a different passage, this passage from James on joy. And I think I drew the short straw on this one. You see, the author never minces words. And his declaration in verse 2 sounds at best ridiculous and at worst profoundly insensitive. I want you to hear it again. Here it is. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Really? When we face any trial, we are going to consider it nothing but joy? I want you to imagine you telling that to a friend. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've met with a lot of people and talked to a lot of people, and most of them have what I call pandemic fatigue. But that, not only that, they are navigating some kind of trial in their life. And they might fall into these categories, relational, emotional, physical, financial, or spiritual trials. Here's just a sample of what I heard. Get ready for this. People are feeling isolated from their loved ones and their friends. They miss the touch and presence of those closest to them. I know a few, few people, and I bet you do too, who are traversing their first Christmas alone, grieving the loss of loved ones, going through a divorce, or unable to see their children, whether they're young or adults. Others told me of their own or their family members struggle with addiction. I've heard about pornography. People who have never had depression or anxiety are dealing with it for the first time. I've seen parents on social media express their dismay at trying to manage their kids' e-learning. And then just a week ago, I was informed that a friend and a member of our church received a surprise diagnosis of cancer that's incurable and was given at most months to live. So there's all that. And I've heard more than a few times that people say that they feel disconnected from God and the church. And while they're grateful for technology, they're just tired of online connection, which has resulted in their drifting from their own spiritual practices, including worship. Now, can you relate to any of these during the last eight months? In what ways has your faith been tested? What is the most difficult trial that you're facing right now or your, that your family's facing? I want to encourage you to put them in the comments section right now or turn to the people that you're with and share with one another. Out loud, tell each other. And if you aren't experiencing any, share one from the past. Seriously, I, I mean it. Do it. Take a moment, share with them. And if any, anything that you list in the comments, we'll gather this week, we'll pray over them. And if you've got something going on that's too sensitive to share publicly, click on the prayer request link and mark pastors only, and we'll be praying for you as well. So whatever, you, whatever trial that you listed in the comments or that you shared with those worshiping around you or that you're silently holding in your mind, James is telling you to consider facing them with joy. You think that's ridiculous? Or possible? 
I hope today that God might persuade you that it is possible, even though it could feel like a superhuman task. Our understanding of God found in Jesus and the scripture will provide us guidance. But before we get there, I think it's wise to explore who the author was, who he was writing to, and why the context is important. You ready? Here we go. So there are four men named James in the New Testament, as far as I could find. And only two of them have been credited with writing this letter. The first was James, the brother of Zebedee, uh, the son of Zebedee, brother of John. You've heard about him. One of the original 12 disciples. Now, scholars believe that he was martyred by Herod in 44 AD, which would rule him out since they think the letter was written between 45 and 49, prior to the fall of Jerusalem. So that means that it's probably James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, he wasn't a believer until after the resurrection and was the recognized leader in the Jerusalem church in Acts 12, 15, and 21. Check it out. You probably already have if you're in the Bible 2020 project. But if you haven't, that's who it was. Now, in verse 1, he addresses the letter to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. In a weird way, James's opening fits with our context, right? We've been scattered for the last eight months and haven't been gathering in person much. This letter was like their church online for them. And while not ideal, they probably thank God that they had it, and so should we. James was writing to Jewish Christians who fled Jerusalem to escape the persecution These people were facing intense trials because of what they were following, a crucified Messiah that said he was ushering in a new kind of kingdom where the currency wasn't power or prestige, but love. And those followers were probably discouraged. They had to flee. Perhaps they thought that God was angry or disinterested or had abandoned them altogether. Their faith was being stretched. And James writes to encourage them. So I want you to hear it again, except this time hear it from the paraphrase from the message. Imagine an empathetic spiritual leader saying this directly to you and to our church. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Friends, what I think James might be saying to us is don't let your trials go to waste. Trials and temptations don't have to be for nothing. God can use them to strengthen your faith, to deepen your love for God, neighbor, yourself, and even the world. But I want to acknowledge a few things that I think are pretty important. First, we believe that God is not the author of all trials and human suffering, but God can use anything and anyone, and that includes your trials for good. Secondly, we often don't experience joy or witness our maturity or strengthening of our faith from the trials until we look back upon them in the rearview mirror of life. And in the moment, it's hard to be like, oh yeah, this depression is really helping me mature. Oh wow, I can see how my loved one's addiction is just strengthening my faith. The joy of it all. The question remains though, doesn't it? 
how can we see trials as nothing but joy? You know, this week I was looking up and I was thinking about Viktor Frankl. He's the renowned psychiatrist and writer who endured multiple trips to concentration camps during World War II and suffering that most of us will never know. This is what he said. Joy can never be an end to itself. It's a byproduct of finding meaning. You see, finding meaning matters. Will you say that with me, even though if you're by yourself? Finding meaning matters. Trials are inevitable, but finding meaning in them is optional. Many of you know my early life was filled with trials. My relationships with my biological and stepfather were troubling at best. And those relationships left me with deep wounds, wounds that impacted my relationship with God, those nearest to me, and myself. And considering those trials as joy would have been preposterous to me. And if anyone even would have suggested it at that time, it probably wouldn't have gone over well for them. But the wounds healed with time and work. And now they are scars, but not just regular scars. They're sacred. Didn't happen right away. But I can say with truth and conviction that I consider those trials and joy because God has and is using them. I don't think we should look at our trials in a martyry way, but with hope that God is with us, since that's what the word Emmanuel means. Here's why finding meaning matters for followers of Jesus. If you don't allow to God to transform your pain or use your trials, you're going to transmit your pain onto other people. And you will crumble under the weight of the world's harshness. Falling to, failing to find meaning will profoundly impact your relationship with God and probably the church. And when people can't discover meaning, they drift into despair, believing that their trials come from an angry God, a distant God, or an uncaring or abandoning God. All attributes that are antithetical to the nature of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Sometimes that means doing work with a therapist or a Christian spiritual mentor or spending time in prayer and meditation in the Bible. But at some point, we have to find something in the pain. In other words, we have to find a possible why. Nietzsche said this, he said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And I suspect one why is often discovered. One why that's often discovered is this, God can use our deepest wounds to help the world. Now, while you or I in the middle of pain, it's hard to see a why, we, we recognize that. Let's Let's return to that trial that you had named earlier. What can you do? What can we do? Well, of course, there's not just one way. There's not one formula. But the scripture points us in a direction to discover meaning in trials. James says in verse 5, If any of you are lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. When navigating pain, ask God for wisdom. You see, prayer changes things. And most importantly, prayer changes us. Last Friday in my weekly email, I invited people who receive it to an Advent challenge. And that is this. Drop down to your knees one time per day for prayer. I invite you to do this today and ask God for wisdom 
if you're experiencing a trial. Now, I appreciate the Apostle Paul's metaphor for the church. He calls it the body of Christ. Some of you have heard that term. In each of us, that is, anyone who believes in and follows Jesus is a part of the body of Christ, the church. He goes on to say that no part of the body is more important than any other. You're as important as anybody else. And that we belong to one another. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. When you or I are suffering, all of us suffer together. But that's not even possible if we don't know and you're not connected to a small group of Christians. So when navigating in trial, here's the second way, include other people. They say that a joy shared is doubled and a pain shared is halved. To be Jesus followers, we can't do it alone. We must rely on our brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ. That doesn't mean we don't seek outside help or just huddle ourselves with Christians. That's not what I'm saying. But we do need other Christians to be praying for us, to encourage us and to walk with us on the road to finding meaning. You know, last week, a group of men gathered with a friend who was close to death on Zoom. They talked about life and the transformation that they all found in God through a new way of life. You see, this man was able to include others on his ultimate journey, his ultimate trial. Now, if you don't have a small group, you can find one by contacting John or just email me. Lastly, James says in verse 12, blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I imagine it was tough for the people who were listening to James' message. They had such difficult circumstances. I mean, we could think about the disciples with Jesus being crucified and their trials that they experienced after he was gone. But what James is calling us to do is this. Trust God. Trust that there will be an end and that you will find meaning in your trial. Admittedly, that's sometimes hard, So sometimes I've had to fake it until I make it or hold on to the fact that other people believe that my trial would end. And even when the end comes and it doesn't turn out the way that we hoped or imagined, God will never forsake or abandon you, even when it feels like God has. Because you see, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, who is best revealed in Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, knows your pain. God knows it because Jesus bore the weight of all humanity's evil. He experienced trials and was wounded just like you. And these wounds left scars that didn't disappear after he was resurrected. The scars on his hands and his feet and on his side remained. And they are sacred because they are for you and for me in the entire creation. May you find meaning in your trials so that you can consider them joy. Maybe James wasn't so ridiculous after all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.